You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And today is Friday, December the 4th. Happy weekend. If you're listening to this, it's Friday afternoon. So we are ready to go into a weekend where hopefully some stuff will start happening on the lukewarm stove for this Major League Baseball offseason. We've had a few little dominoes fall here and there, but nothing too crazy. The Mets did pick up Trevor May, and that was a guy that I really wanted the Marlins to jump on, but there was no way they were going to outbid the Mets for obvious reasons. Charlie Morton also goes to the Braves for a larger contract than I expected, so I'm upset that the Marlins were not able to secure Morton, but I understand because the $15 million contract is I think too much for him. The Braves were willing to pay for it, so it's fine. I just think the Marlins would never go near that. I was expecting more in the 9 to 10 range, which would be more palatable, not 15. So the Marlins ultimately just have to save in that regard. And I think after the non-tender deadline, some of the surprise relievers, as I mentioned in the previous episode, definitely check that out if you missed it. I talk about a lot of the Marlins reliever options that were non-tendered now and it made the market a lot more saturated which is a good thing it should drive prices down a little bit for those middling relievers that were looking for a little bit more in a market where a lot of teams are always looking to add to their bullpen now there's some more supply which might drive down the demand a little bit we'll see what the cost is for some of these relievers. I think there's some low-cost options for the Marlins, as I mentioned in the previous podcast. Speaking of low-cost, which is what this episode is going to be about, Brian Anderson's extension would not be that expensive. And I was not really planning on talking about this too soon, but Kim Ang came out, and I thought she did great in the press conference, honestly. I thought for somebody that had not really had the presser where she was grilled on team questions yet. It was pretty much one of the first pressers where she was really grilled on questions. I liked her answers. I thought she was much more uh, straightforward than Mike Hill. I felt like Mike Hill often answered in generalities. I would sit through those press conferences, walk away, and be like, okay, I got absolutely nothing from that. That being said... I don't want to speak for her, but I bet you if she got a do-over, she would probably take what she said about Brian Anderson's extension back just because of the way I think it was phrased. I don't think she meant for it to come across this way, but the way she said it, and if you missed the quote, I'm paraphrasing, but it was roughly when asked about a Brian Anderson extension, she roughly said, I want to see what he does this year. I haven't seen enough of him. I want to see what he can do during the season, and then I'll make a decision. I think that's a fine answer, but the way she presented it kind of seemed like the contributions that he's been making to the team had been somewhat anonymous for somebody that is not inside the organization. I think if you look across the Major League Baseball landscape, it's almost a joke going into this year. A lot of people would say, yeah, Brian Anderson was the only player who I knew on the Marlins. And not that he's the most recognizable name around, but this guy was just nominated for a gold glove alongside Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado. And you could make the case that he deserved to be right up there to win it when you look at some of the figures. Baseball Prospectus 
fielding runs above average, which I think is the best fielding stat. And I'm not just saying that because Brian Anderson is number one. I had just stumbled upon this stat actually after the gold gloves were announced. And Baseball Prospectus does a really good job with this stat because it accounts for shifting now. UZR is antiquated because of the shifting. There's just so many variables that affect fielding statistics that make it incredibly difficult. And I love this fielding runs above average statistic, which I'm roughly breaking it down here. It's pretty complicated to be honest, but from Baseball Prospectus website and description of this fielding runs above average stat, it basically takes every single thing you can imagine into account. The number of plays made compared to the average number of plays made by a player at that said position, the pitcher's ground ball tendencies, the batter's handedness, among a few other things to create a baseline of what an average fielder would be in Major League Baseball, and then all of the players that make or exceed that baseline are going to have a positive number, right? It would be 1.0 or 2.0 and so on and so forth with some decibels mixed in there as well. But I like the stat a lot. I think it's the most consistent. And for reference, Brian Anderson had a fielding runs above average rating of 7.4, way above Nolan Arenado, who was at 5.3 at number two. Gio Ursula was at number three at 4.8. So no crazy outliers there. It's two of the best defenders in baseball right next to Brian Anderson there. So I I like this stat a lot. There's a lot of consistency across the board. And Brian Hayes, by the way, is the best defensive third baseman in the National League, in my opinion. I talked about him on the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. He already had a three fielding runs above average rating. If he had some more opportunities, his score would have been right up there with Anderson's. That guy is going to be a stud, and it's going to be hard for Brian Anderson to win a gold glove with Arenado, Machado, and now Brian Hayes. That being said, it doesn't really matter because he is so valuable as a defender now, and he's versatile. And when we look at what he can do defensively, right, whether he's a gold glover or not, at the end of the day, that's just a trophy on the shelf. He's always going to be offering you plus defensive ability and stealing a lot of outs at third base. He can also play above average right field, which is not important now. But if you're going to extend him for, let's say, five, six, maybe seven years, I think that's a little far-fetched. But let's say he's extended for five years and he starts to slow down a little bit for whatever reason, or he's just not keeping up as well at third base, there's a great insurance policy in the fact that he can play right field very well and that he has a rifle for an arm out there as well. He's a plus outfielder, I would say, to to go with the fact that he is a plus third baseman. Definitely value there as he will age more gracefully even if he cannot play third base. I've seen some criticisms of his lack of consistency at the plate. And that's very fair. I understand that. His swing has a tendency to get long. And at times, he will start swinging and missing quite a bit. The strikeout rate is routinely pretty high in the mid-20s range. Sometimes he flirts with the upper 20s. But he never really gets to a point where it's egregious or just too bad that you're starting to worry about a high, high, high volume strikeout guy. I think he keeps it relatively in check. It was a little bit high this past year at 28.8%, but again, that was a shortened season. His walk rate was also higher than usual too, so that kind of offset each other, and he he finished very strong. Also, baseball savant 
had him at the 94th percentile and outs above average. So that defensive statistic really liked him as well. The walk rate was the highest it's been in his career. So with Anderson, yeah, he's got a little bit of consistency issues, but I will say this, a lot of the numbers and figures Uh, When you look back to this season and going back to about midway through last year, point towards Anderson being one of the better hitting third basemen in baseball. When we look at OPS across the major leagues, there weren't very many third basemen that hit well in this abbreviated season. And that's a case of a lot of people at that position just being streaky. Fourth in OPS this season in that 60-game stretch, only behind Jose Ramirez. And this is an all-baseball because Jose Ramirez is an Indian. Manny Machado with the Padres and Anthony Rendon with the Angels are the only three players this past season that had a higher OPS than Brian Anderson. We can stretch it back to June of 2019 to get a larger sample size here. And remember, Brian Anderson was on a torrid pace in August before going down with a hand injury. But dating back to June of 2019, Anderson is tied with Justin Turner for the highest WRC plus for any third baseman in the NL. And that's a weird stat because you had Rendon leave for the AL midway through this sample size. Otherwise, he would have been ahead of those two, meaning Rendon would have been ahead of Anderson and Turner. Still among the top in the league at third base dating back to last June. And there's certainly consistency issues, but I think the production paired with the fact that he plays such good defense, mind you, much better defense than Justin Turner, you are going to get value out of him even when he is going poorly at the plate. And that's what I like is that when he is struggling at the plate, he's still giving you good defense at third and there's still value there. And that's why Anderson, to me, is a guy that you got to lock up. You can go into the other aspects of it too, like the fact that the Marlins need some continuity. This is one of the familiar faces for not only Marlins fans, but fans across baseball. This is a guy that you can say, okay, He's been there through the rebuild. He has continued to get better. He is homegrown. We drafted him. We developed him. And we have watched him blossom. And this guy, he doesn't have to be the face of the franchise, but he can be the face of continuity and the face of stability in this franchise. Because, of course, the Marlins want to have somebody else, a superstar, J.J. Blade, Jazz Chisholm, one of those guys, Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, maybe one of those guys will be the quote-unquote face of the franchise. However, the Marlins need that veteran face that can point towards a difference with this ownership. And the difference is we keep our players and reward our players that go about the game the right way, that have paid their dues and helped this team. And not to mention, the Marlins probably don't make the playoffs this year without Brian Anderson. Despite how streaky he was at the plate, he was huge for this team defensively and came through pretty big in some big spots offensively. He's actually one of the most clutch players in baseball, which I'll get into in a moment, because there are some reasons for his inconsistencies, which I will jump into because I think there's some adjustments that can be made with his swing. Don't get me wrong. He could be a little bit shorter, but there's some adjustments that can be made with the way he is handled in the lineup that would help him be more consistent. I will get to those points right after the break. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, 50% more for the same auto parts when you can just go to rockauto.com, a family run business that has been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Their website is easy to navigate. You'll find whatever car part, make or model you need 
for whatever car you have. And it's just so much easier than going to the chain store and having to deal with that intimidating conversation with the car expert asking you about whatever car part you may not know about. That's what I had to deal with. Don't like it. I'd rather just go to rockauto.com and sort it out there. So much easier. And don't get me started with car dealerships. They charge you way more. They make you wait. Maybe it's just me, but I always end up with a headache after I leave the car dealership. rockauto.com will ship the part straight to your door. Super easy. And the best way to go about it, you won't want to do it any other way. Once you try it, go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So let's talk a little bit about how, what Brian Anderson's had to endure. So people like to criticize, and again, it's understandable, Brian Anderson's lack of consistency. And that is at times frustrating for sure. He will get into some brutal funks at the plate. But around him has been the opposite of consistency for the last few seasons. And with this rebuild, with some bad, bad teams around him, he has had to shuffle around the lineup quite a bit. And then this year, which was probably the best lineup we have seen the Marlins deploy in a while, and that's not saying much, there was still a lot of turnover because of injuries, because of COVID, because of so many different things. And Anderson was shuffled around time and time again. He is a guy that is very dependent, I think, on some continuity where he is in the lineup and the numbers would back that up. So first, I want to tell you a little bit about the distribution of at-bats in his career in all the different spots that he has hit. So he has had 24% of his starts in the two-hole, which is a no-no. I don't think he should hit in the two-hole at all, and I'll get to those reasons in a second. He's had 23% of his starts in the three-hole. That is a good spot for him. He's had 19% of his starts in the cleanup spot, and then 23% of his starts in the five spot. So a pretty even distribution between two, three, four, and five. And that's just a really difficult thing to do because it's a very different role hitting second between hitting fourth, between hitting fifth, and hitting third. They're all different roles. Some are more similar than the others, but hitting second, for example, is not something that I would want Brian Anderson doing. And it's no surprise to me that that's his worst slash line, despite the fact that he has started the most games hitting second. It makes no sense to me. 88 games started hitting second. That is more than any other spot. And he has a 236, 322, 375 slash line. That's good for a 697 OPS. Brian Anderson is a first pitch swinger. That is how he's done a majority of his damage in his career. He is a 398 hitter at the first pitch. 70 for 176 with nine home runs and 43 driven in and an OPS of 1,094. And not that he can't swing at the first pitch when he's in the two hole, I'm sure he's done it plenty, but his approach is undoubtedly different when he's hitting second. You definitely have a different kind of approach to how you wanna do things and what your role is there. And that's why it's no surprise to me that a guy that's probably now thinking more contact oriented in the two spot He's grounded into 14 double plays, hitting second, which is more than double he has grounded into in any other spot in the lineup. Again, not a coincidence to me because he's probably trying too hard to just put the ball in play or stay inside of it, hit it to the right side or the guy on second, whatever it is. 
or just trying to just get on base for the middle of the order. I don't like that. I don't really like him in the two spot. He is a guy that's going to get his hacks in. He's going to be aggressive early in the count, and that's why he is great in the five spot, and that's why he's great with runners on base when he can just cut loose. He's one of the best hitters in baseball with runners in scoring position, and that's because he loves to just cut loose. you got to deal with some of the swings and misses. I don't mind it because he is so good and so clutch with runners on base, and that's something I will take any day of the week if you got to deal with some of the swing and miss concerns. With runners in scoring position, a 336 hitter, 419 on base, and another OPS over 1,000. There's not very many hitters in baseball with an OPS over 1,000 with runners in scoring position, and that's a large sample size. That's his entire career. Again, going back to where he hits in the order, in the five spot, he is by far the best. A 307, 371, 473 slash line in the five spot which is where he's done a majority of his damage, 57 runs driven in. So more than a third of his runs driven in are in that five spot, despite the fact that in the five spot, he only has made 23% of his starts there, which is less than a quarter. If you go through each spot, he's a 236 hitter in the two spot. He's a 272 hitter in the three spot. He's a 256 hitter in the four spot and a 307 hitter in the five spot. So if you know that about Brian Anderson, why not keep him in one place and allow him to excel there. It's not a coincidence at this point. We're talking about over 300 plate appearances in each spot. He's clearly more comfortable in the five hole. Whether my reasoning is correct or not, that doesn't really matter because the numbers are there. This isn't a fluke. This isn't just some coincidence that he's better in the five hole. Whatever it is, whether it's mental, whether it's the way he's pitched, whether it's his approach or the way he feels or the way guys are on base and in turn he gets pitched, I don't know what it is. But whatever the reason is doesn't matter because it's real that he is better in the five spot. But as the world around him and the lineup around him continues to shuffle around, fall, guys get traded, guys get hurt, prospect up, prospect struggles, back down, another prospect up, veteran in, veteran out, whatever it is, he's always been the only, one of the only constants and has always had to move around. Cooper, super injury prone, is a guy that you are pairing next to him in the order and he has been in and out of the lineup quite frequently besides this past year where he was great. So there's just so many variables for Brian Anderson. And as one of the only continuous guys in the lineup, he, in my opinion, suffers the most from it. And that's why I think the inconsistency is not 100% his fault. I think there's definitely validity to the fact that his swing is a bit long. His pitch selection can be a bit iffy. He struggles with the off speed at times, and that's going to result in some inconsistencies at the plate. But he's not aided at all by the shuffling around in the lineup. And that's why I'm excited for the Marlins this coming year because Marte and Cooper now and Aguilar coming back, there's going to be more continuity with that Marlins lineup. And I think Brian Anderson is going to excel with that steady and continued lineup, assuming that Don Manningly does not continue to just shuffle it around like a deck of cards. Lastly, before I close it out, what does an extension look like? Well, reports from Craig Mish before this COVID season were that Brian Anderson was looking for, or the discussion was something along the lines of five years, 30 million. I don't know if that's what the Marlins offered or if what that's just what was getting bounced back and forth and they were going from there. 
I would say that is a bargain. And this was before Anderson was just nominated for a gold glove and put up another season of an 800 OPS or higher. So I think that that price is only going to be driven up. Also, the Marlins just had their best season in a long time. And there's really not that much of a market for third baseman come next season. It's only Nolan Arenado. And if you have the option to pay Brian Anderson $40 million or Nolan Arenado $340 million or whatever it's going to be, I would much rather just pay Brian Anderson the $40 million. Of course, I'd love to have Nolan Arenado on my team, but we both know that there's almost no chance the Marlins are going to cough up that much money for an Owen Arenado, who actually struggled a lot this past year, but I'm sure he will still end up opting for free agency and get a big, big deal. Still, I don't think there's very many options like Brian Anderson where you're going to be able to get a guy of his caliber defensively and at times offensively, and still a guy that continues to get better. He's not maxed out. I think he's a borderline in-between good everyday regular and all-star right in that in-between range and he should make a couple all-star appearances in his career I think he has that in him especially with a lot of really good third basemen now making their way to the American League with Rendon gone he really is a top five third baseman in the National League so lock that guy up keep him get that continuity going it's not going to be that expensive I know you have some COVID questions with the short-term future and just with what's going on You can backload it a little bit. The TV deal is imminent. There's so many moving parts. Just lock up Brian Anderson. It makes so much sense, and it will make fans very happy and give a breath of fresh air to fans hoping that there will be more continuity. Tip of the cap to the Marlins for paying Jesus Aguilar, despite the unknown, but this is a no-brainer to me. There's nobody in the system that projects really as a third baseman at this point. Free agency is pretty sparse, and there's no reason to go out and trade for a third baseman when you have a guy like Anderson and you have so many other spots that you have some needs in. That's my spiel on Brian Anderson, who I clearly think should be extended and I expect to get extended and we'll see what the dollars and cents are, but I hope that the Marlins pull through and make this thing happen because he deserves it, he's earned it, he's endured some tough times and he's a big part of this team's recent success and future hopeful success moving forward. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.